0: This is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. In the history of cocktails, we've spent more time trying to mask the taste of spirits than we have actually celebrating them. But recently, the intricate marriage of unexpected flavours has not only become fundamental to cocktail making, but also to the distillation of the very spirits we put in these drinks. Add to that the number of techniques that bartenders have borrowed from the kitchen, and it's surprising that we've not seen more chefs, not only behind the bar, but also beside the still. One such chef that has stepped forward to transfer his culinary skills into liquid is renowned celebrity chef Robert Irvine. We talked to Robert about the inspiration behind Irvine Spirits, the vodka and gin he has produced, and of course the cocktails that you can make with it. Thank you for joining us, Robert.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Exciting times.
0: Now the obvious question is why would a chef want to create a spirits range?
1: What chefs do is create food and flavors and textures. So for me, bringing out Urbines just takes us to the next levels. Chefs are always trying to create experiences, and we obsess—and <laughs> that's a big word—obsess over flavors and textures. So cocktails and spirit pairings have always been there. So now I see we're trying to curate or control that experience. I often talk about food's power. To bring people together. If you take away food, good drinks do the same thing. So I've been thinking about this for a long time. How do we take uh, the next step? And here it is.
0: Your spirits are produced by a distillery called Boardroom Spirits. You've been a co-owner in that distillery for the past four years. Why bring the liquids out now?
1: Yes, it's actually five years I've been with Boardroom now. But when I got into it, It was really interesting. I met Boardroom Spirits folks at a veterans event in Philadelphia that was doing a fundraiser. Loved them, loved their products. That's why I bought into the company. Since then, we've done an awful lot growing, bigger stills, getting ready for basically taking this to the marketplace. And we've utilized a lot of market research and tapped into the distillers, the master distillers that we have. And we started to develop the products, the gin and the vodka, based on my flavor profiles and what I wanted to bring to that market. So it's ready now, and <laughs> I could be more excited for sure.
0: So this was definitely a pre-COVID plan and not something you just came up with during lockdown.
1: That's correct. The difference now between coming up with the idea before COVID and after, obviously, uh, we're all in the same issues now with supply chain, list- logistical issues. But overall, we're getting there. We began during COVID manufacturing hand sanitizer and giving that away free once you purchased a bottle of the Spirit. But yeah, now we've got the same issues, obviously, with bottles and and things like that. But we're getting through it. I think uh, for us, our shiny moment at the distillery was helping our first responders, our military folks with sanitizer. And we were the first in the country to do that. It's exciting.
0: It must be incredibly difficult to actually launch a spirit at this point in terms of being able to get your hands on raw materials as well as send the the gin or vodka
1: out to the world. It is. Like everything else, we're in the food business, we're in the protein bar business, and they're having the same problems. But once you find and you can commit to volume It's a lot easier to getting the product in than if I'm saying 10,000 bottles. We buy 100,000, 200,000 bottles at a time. It's a lot easier that way. Same with our ingredient list.
0: Do you think that people are more experimental with what they're willing to taste and try post-COVID than they might have been before?
1: Absolutely. I think what COVID taught us was the meaning of family and life again, I think. But I believe that it also taught us to test the waters in different areas, like different drinks, different foods, curate more stuff at home. And that's why, obviously, liquor sales went through the roof here in the States, and I'm sure it was around the world. But yes, I believe that people are more willing to try things they've never done before post-COVID because they've enjoyed them or they've heard about them or they've read about them.
0: Now, with your gin especially... Do you think that being a chef gives you a better sense of botanicals
1: and how they can be used? Chefs are a weird bunch of folks. We're crazy. We're like the mad scientists and we want to create something that's cool. So being British, I grew up with gin and being a chef, I'm very picky about what I think it should taste like. I don't want to drink a gin that tastes like Christmas trees. So we created this amazing gin and I call it the non-gin drinkers gin because you can love gin and you can hate gin. When you try the the Robert Irvine gin, both the astute gin drinkers and the beginners or people who don't like it are going to love it for sure. What sort of flavors will they experience? It's interesting because we've got tea, we've got blackberries, we've got cinnamon, Ceylon cinnamon. I actually went to Ceylon to look at the cinnamon being harvested. So there's a lot of thought into the blend for sure. And it is very, I would say more floral and light than anything else. And you think of gin being the heavy juniper based, mine is not.
0: So it's more a modern
1: style than, let's say, a traditional London drive. Oh, absolutely. It's more of an American gin. In the 20s, America was famous for gin, believe it or not. Not so much now, but I think there's definitely a a renaissance coming there. But going back to, I think the world is thinking about healthier ways of living, healthier food. This gin is definitely a lighter version of that. When you say healthier, how how does that come through the gin? It's all non-GMO products. It's all fresh products. We use infusion when we distill as opposed to when I first got into boardroom. We were using, in our vodka, 13 pounds of fresh cranberries, 8 pounds of fresh citrus. And obviously, it's great if you're a small distiller to do that. And I really wanted the sediment in the, the vodka and, and the line itself. But then when you go on a mass scale, you can't do that because it, it looks weird with bits floating in it, basically the cranberries or the lemon or the ginger, but we've figured out a new distilling method.
0: Explain more about that then.
1: When you distill, there's many ways. First of all, the distilling process, you look at what I call the heads. So we're distilling something. We can't use the head or the top of the distill. We get rid of that. The hearts, which is in the middle. And if you think about somebody that was drinking homemade uh, moonshine, and you've heard, oh, we drink homemade moonshine, you go blind. And you're probably drinking the top of the still, which is the worst. You have to discard that. We discard that. We use the hearts. And then what's left at the bottom uh, of the tank, the residue, the sediment, you can't drink that. A lot of people use that. We don't. We get rid of that. It's an interesting process of infusing and traditional distilling.
0: You mentioned earlier that you thought that the U.S. was going to possibly go through a gin renaissance. What do you think its future is there?
1: I think, and and it's happening right now, I believe, and we're in the midst of it. I think for decades and decades, vodka has been the drink, and I think here in the States, The renaissance of of gin from the 20s is coming back. We've got a lot of gin bars. Cruise lines are are, are really heavy into gin programs now. So I think we've hit the market at the right time with a very unique product. And I say unique because it is an American-style gin, not a British-style gin. Uh, Lighter, more flavorful, I believe. So I think we're going to see in the next couple of years I don't think Jim will overtake vodka, but I think it will be a very close second.
0: Now, speaking of the vodka, what is it about your vodka
1: that stands out particularly? It's all made with non-GMO corn. We focus on obviously fresh products, which is just like I do in the kitchen. And we're doing a lot of of variations of vodka, not just a straight vodka. We do a ginger vodka, a, a citrus vodka, a cranberry vodka all those kind of things. So I think what people will expect from us is a fresher, more vibrant taste. Do you
0: believe that the two expressions are filling a gap in the market?
1: I think they're creating a different segment, believe it or not. Yes, we've all got vodka in this, potato vodka, corn vodka. I think these are, are very unique in flavor profiles. If you look at the gin, I've used 13 botanicals, elderberry, blackcurrant tea. There's a very distinct flavor based on my profile. And we think of chefs. And I, I keep going back to that because we have a very different nuance of flavors. As we get older, our taste buds change. And obviously the younger we are, the better or more taste buds we have. So I think we're marketing to a 19 to 63 year group of people that are dabbling in stuff that they've never dabbled in before. Um, So I think we're creating a niche. The complexity of the the drinks themselves are new. And every time you sip something, you taste a different flavor, which is, to me, exciting.
0: Are they flavors that are going to feel familiar to people, or are they incredibly new?
1: I think they're somewhat familiar, but incredibly new and that's an oxymoron isn't it really but when you think of gin you think of juniper yes you're going to still taste juniper but you're going to taste elderberry you're going to taste black and and you never taste that in gin because the juniper overpowers it and it, it took a couple of years to develop this what I consider the perfect profile for me and when I say me I normally cook the way I like and people love it and it's the same with when I drink or create things Hopefully they'll love it. Again, it's a different approach. If you think about, I don't know, elderberry, right? It's a great jammy flavor, but you don't want too much jam. You don't want too much juniper. You want the tea. What type of tea? English breakfast tea, jasmine tea. There's a blender of things in there that are very different. So whilst you might might be able to pick out the juniper, even though it's not very intense, you will be able to taste the other flavors. And you can't say that about any other gin that I've tried anyway. So again, it's new. And the way which we distill in the pot and we vapor infuse, it, it, it creates a very different profile. If you vapor infuse, think about this. It's not like when we put something into a pot and we boil it, we can't control the flavor profile. We get whatever we get from that. With vapor infusing, yeah. you can literally put the amount of, of flavor you want from each of those ingredients into that gin or that vodka. Uh, And I think that's a key element here.
0: It sounds like it's very much a balance of the
1: flavors that you've tried to create. Absolutely. Uh, And that's a great word, balance. You don't want one flavor to overpower another. And that's how I find a lot of gins, a lot of vodka. And you said a, a great thing when you opened the show, we've spent... Decades and decades of, of trying to cover the flavor of alcohol. We don't need to here. It literally is crisp, it's clean, and it's pure. So I can taste everything that's in it. I don't need to cover it up. We have a ginger vodka that's 100 proof. I can add uh, a diet seltzer uh, and it's perfect. The same with any other the drinks. Think about, I don't know, give me one of your favorites gin drink.
0: All right, bees News.
1: Okay. I can literally take a dropper of honey, add two drops of honey, make a bee's knees, and, and you wouldn't need anything else in this drink. And the honey wouldn't overpower that drink. It would accent the, the, the rest of the botanicals in the drink. For me, and I'm not a mixologist, I'm a chef, but we are so similar in the fact that we can tweak and talk and, and touch and smell. And, and it's amazing how we are so much alike, yet so different.
0: Would you say then that both the gin and the vodka have actually been developed with cocktails in mind?
1: For sure. I, I would absolutely, I don't know anybody that does shots of vodka. Over. I'm sure there are people out there. But we want to enjoy. We want to take time. It's like food. It's an experience. The cocktail is an experience. When you go to one of my restaurants, you go there for the ambience, you go there for the service, you go there, for the food it's not just one thing we don't just go there for food because the service could be bad we don't just go there because the food is great and the bar is bad we go there for a total experience and that's what you're getting uh with these two spirits you sit you savor you enjoy you taste you think and then you continue to drink and i think that's what we do in the restaurant business is we create an experience of food drink and service you go to a bar because you may like the bartender, you may not even know the bartender, but you want a great drink, uh, and these two drinks—the gin and the vodka—are going to create great drinks.
0: Now I know neither of the expressions have been out for very long, but what is the reaction?
1: The reaction is unbelievable. We're in about uh, twelve states right now. Hopefully, in the next three or four months, we'll be in forty states. I think it's it's like everything else when you launch something. You have to be in the space. People know me on the TV space as food and saving restaurants and, and, and fitness and all those kind of things. And we're getting a great name in the spirit because people are actually loving uh, the flavor profiles.
0: The distribution system in the US, even for seasoned professionals, it's quite a maze to navigate. I suppose it must have been quite a learning curve.
1: The good thing is we have a, a, a lot of retail distribution in what we do in food and uh, nutrition products, and we're known for quality. So when we decided to to launch Irvine's, we had a little bit more of a bump or an easier life because people know what we did from those products. When we took the took the, the gin and the vodka out at first, everybody's like, okay, it's another gin and another vodka. and Unfortunately (laughs) for them, when they tried it, they're like, oh, this is not another brand's vodka. This is not another gin. These are special. And that's been the impression in major retailers and major uh, liquor stores. We have not gone yet into bars and restaurants and that sort of thing. That's phase two. We're really in retail right now. But every bartender, every mixologist that i would given this to created amazing things and been really impressed, I would say, at the profiles. And again, I keep using that word profile, the flavor profile, because that's how we work as chefs.
0: You've said that some of the bartenders you've given it to have created amazing things. What sort of cocktails have they been working on?
1: Oh, I I can send you a list. We have probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 different products that we've been using or, or, or that we've created. Vodka martinis, which are not new drink, but if you mix Red Bull with it, different, right? So I'm just using some of those kind of traditional things that we do that we put twists on. We have a, We're the only ones right now that I know of that have created a a gin and tonic with a diet tonic that we make that's in a can that has zero calories in it. Things like that. But I can send you a list of all all the things that we've done.
0: Have there been any drinks that you didn't expect?
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of smoking, funnily enough. And we have a barbecue line in food. And we think of smoking with whiskey and and scotch and bourbon. Mm. But we don't think of it with gin. And we've looked at right now a grapefruit gin, which I'm excited about at the moment. But nothing crazy, but a lot of smoking stuff has been done. And that's new to me because I've never had a, a drink with vodka or gin that's been smoked before. Did you like it? It was unusual for me, but it was good.
0: How do you like
1: to drink either the vodka or the gin? So I'm a straight up gin and tonic kind of guy. I'm old school, vodka and cranberry, but very little cranberry, special orange. So I'm an old school guy. My dad was a gin drinker. He passed away a couple of years ago. But yeah, so I grew up in the Hendrix kind of world. And he was a hardcore Hendrix guy. How do you drink? Tell me how you drink.
0: I drink whiskey most of the time.
1: (laughs) Oh, we'll have one of them. we have a bourbon and we'll have whiskey soon. But yeah, I look
0: forward to that. Now, if people are buying a bottle, how do you recommend that they first experience it?
1: Ah, that's a great question. How do they experience it? I think, first of all, and again, I go back to being the chef. The first thing I do is smell everything. You buy the bottle, you open it, you smell it. Because you'll be able to smell the flavors. And then drink the way you want to drink it. It's very hard to change somebody's habits of drinking. You can change a brand. But the drinks, they pretty much stay the same. It's not like uh, a restaurant. We go and and look at a menu and say, oh, let let me have one of them. Most people know what they want to drink when they walk into a bar because they're used to it. Yeah. Um, I I don't think we're ever going to change that. But what I would like to say to them is, hey, listen, instead of trying another gin or vodka, give Irvine a shot the way you drink it, but smell it and taste it neat before you actually mix anything with it. Because it is great on its own. It really is. Uh, a cube of ice, either one. And then drink it the way you want to drink it.
0: Now, you've hinted to a, a bourbon and a whiskey being in the future. What, what are the plans for the brand? Domination. <laughs>
1: I would love... So a, a lot of what we do, in fact, most of what we do is built around charity. So all my restaurants, all my food, and etc. There's a huge component the go-to our foundation, the Robert Irvine Foundation, that takes care of first responders and our military veterans and active duty men and women and gold star families. Everything you buy, uh, a huge portion of go to those to, to that charity. And we build homes, we buy post traumatic stress dogs and we train them and give them away. So I I think continued philanthropy is all about that. It literally is. It's not about making money. We all have to make money, but To me, that's not the forefront. I think if you put out a product or products that are amazing, they stand on their own. The name can open the door, of course. But then if you buy it once and you don't like the flavor, you're never buying it again. Uh, And for me, all the products that we do are tremendous flavors, tremendous profiles. And you'll go back, not only because uh, you're doing good for communities and whatever, but also because you can buy a luxury product at not a premium price. So it's not going to break your bank.
0: You mentioned that you'll be in 40 markets shortly. Where is the gin and the vodka available now?
1: So right now it's available in Maine, New Hampshire, California, Oregon, Pennsylvania. And if you go to IrvineSpirits.com, you'll be able to see where they are. But that is a working product. It changes every day because we have a disruptive model. We're trying to own the licenses in each of those states instead of going through a third party which is a lot easier. But we're in a, a big control states right now. Obviously, California and, and Philadelphia and New Hampshire. But that changes literally every day. So by the end of this year, hopefully 40 plus markets.
0: And do you have plans to export?
1: We do. Uh, not till next year. Hopefully we're in talks with a lot of folks right now and hopefully by beginning of next year, if the supply chain uh, eases up, obviously right now, as we discussed earlier, it's a little tough, but I do believe by Christmas or, or first quarter next year, I uh, will have plans set and hopefully we can send you that information uh, when we get further along with that. But yeah, I just want everywhere you see uh, liquor, <laughs> you'll see Irvine's.
0: What do you want people to take away from their experience with any of the Irvine Spirits?
1: I think I want people to take away the feeling of uniqueness, a great quality for a great price point, and they're doing something good no matter where it is. Okay, right now it's in the States and and, and we're building homes here. But as we start to venture out worldwide, then we will start to partner with local charities in those areas. and and give money to those charities from the sales of Revised Spirits. And that's my hope. It's all about philanthropy. How can we make uh, a difference in the places that we go? Right now it's here in, in the United States, but it'd be England, France, Germany, Italy, and so on, Australia, New Zealand. And we will partner with those charities based on where we are.
0: Now, if people want to find out more information, they can, as you mentioned, go to the website. Yeah, can which go. is at and or connect with the brand via your socials.
1: Yeah, they can go to at IrvineSpirits on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
0: Excellent. Look, Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Thank you. Take care.
0: Cheers. And we'd also like to thank you for listening. Be sure to visit cocktailsdistill.com to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers.